in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. It literally means it filled every square inch from top to bottom, from side to side. But in the New Testament, the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So as we sang this song, King of Glory, feel this place, it's not this building. It's you. It's me. It's us. The building fitly framed together that the Spirit inhabits. Come on. Do you want the King of Glory to feel this place today? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Can we just give Him praise and glory one more time? Can we lift him up and magnify him one more? Oh, come on. Glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 If you have your Bibles, join me if you would in the book of Psalms, the 16th chapter. Remain standing with me just another moment and I will let you be seated momentarily. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you for honoring the word of the Lord. I join with Pastor Trevor in welcoming all of our first-time guests. If I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, I hope to before this service is through and we are left, I will do my best to connect with you. But we're so glad you're here. All of you joining us online, thank you for tuning in today and being a part of the Church of Omaha virtually. We welcome you in Jesus' name. Psalm 16, it is a mictum of David. I'll explain what that means in a moment. He says, here, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord. You are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Watch this. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. 
You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to preach for just a few minutes on this thought. The hope of the faithful Messiah's victory. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, this is your church, not mine. You and your word alone can save and deliver and heal us. You know every need, struggle, issue, person, thing that's on our minds and hearts. And therefore your word is anointed and appointed for this moment. And so now on the authority of your word, I bind every spirit of hindrance and loose your anointing to fill this place. Without you, I am nothing. So let there be a demonstration of your spirit and your power that the wisdom would be in you and not in man. Confirm your words with signs following and let me walk in your spirit and not my flesh. Thank you for letting me serve and minister to your church. And we pray it all in the matchless name of Jesus. And would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. With the help of the Lord, I'm going to preach the hope of the faithful Messiah's victory. When you face the reality of death with a living hope in God, He prepares you to live confidently and courageously for Him. Those who have placed their total trust in God can stare down adversity knowing in whom they believe. Hallelujah. And this type of Christ-centered confidence, it's not an arrogance, it's a Christ-centered confidence, or what I like to call Godfidence, allows one to truly live since they're dead already. Ah, you see, I died a long time ago to sin and the world and my flesh, therefore I'm alive in Christ. Amen. And so this living hope enables born-again believers to see their Savior even in a storm. To see Christ above their circumstance. To see God as their deliverer despite their dilemma. In Psalm 16, David is facing yet another troubling and trying time in his life. And so he puts his trust in God, seeks God first, and is committed to being faithful to God. Therefore, David can be hopeful despite the discouragement that otherwise would have taken him down a dark path. David calls Psalm 16 a mictum psalm, which is a relatively unknown Hebrew word. However, the most trusted resources tell us that it means to engrave or sculpted writing. Therefore, a mictum is something that is to be preserved and never forgotten. You're not writing this in the sand. You're not writing this where it can be forgotten. You're not just orally telling this as a tradition. It is something to be engraved in stone, sculpted so that it's remembered for generations. And all six of the Mictum Psalms, which is this one, and then Psalms 56 through 60, each one of them specifically and explicitly herald the hope of the resurrection of the Messiah. Mind you, these are written 1,000 years before the birth of the Messiah, much less his death, burial, and resurrection. 
And so the psalmist, David is the psalmist in all of them. David, that's why the book of Acts chapter 2 calls him a prophet because he sees prophetically into the future. He does prophesy the birth of Christ. He does prophesy the life of Christ. He does prophesy Calvary. And he does prophesy the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I was studying this and looking at this and, and, and praying about where God wanted us to be at this time in this year, this Sunday through Easter Sunday, I'm going to be preaching from these mictum songs about the hope of the resurrection and I've come to tell somebody that if your situation seems dead, if your situation seems like it's buried in a grave, I've come to tell you we serve a God who rose from the grave. Oh, one day when heaven, amen, came down to earth, Jesus walked this earth. Yes, he was crucified. Yes, he was beat for our transgressions. Yes, he died and suffered on that cross. But three days later, he arose. Brother Matt, Brother Calvin, if you're watching your wives, I've come to tell you in Santa Fe today that God can resurrect what seems to be dead. The hope of the faithful is Messiah's victory over death, giving us hope that we too will overcome death. That's why 1 Corinthians tells us that death is the last enemy to be defeated. Hallelujah. Let me tell you that practicing righteousness is going to cost you everything. But it's worth it. In the first four verses of this psalm, David expresses the practice of righteousness. He describes God in three different ways. He describes Him as the only true God, His maker, when He says, preserve me, O God. He describes Him as the eternal one, His mediator, when He says, to the Lord, in verse 2. And he describes him as his master when he says, you are my Lord also in verse 2. So can I tell you that when you get into a difficult situation, take your eyes off of the problem. Take your eyes off of the people and lift them up to see your maker and your mediator and your master in every situation. You see, the righteous live in God's presence for God's people and by God's principles. Amen. And David desired to live in the presence of God. This is the place that he found refuge and preservation. There was nothing good outside of David's life except inside the presence of God. And so he surrounded himself with saints who were like-minded of him. He, he knew that that was the only place that he would find safety and connection. He found joy and fulfillment in living for God and living with and among God's people. And so he knew and faithfully served the one true God, wanting nothing to do with the likes of Saul and who the people he employed it such as Doag the Edomite David refused to associate with him and that's what if you read those first four verses that's what he's saying I want nothing to do with that I don't want to partake in that wickedness I'm not going to live a double life can I tell you if you'll just give it all for God and serve him faithfully it's going to make sense 
It's when we come to church and act one way and, and get up Monday and act a different way that we have difficulty. But if you'll just determine, I'm going to live for God every day. I'm going to get up and walk in faith every day. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. Let me tell you, if you need hope today, you'll find it in God's Word and you'll find it among the saints in safe connection. That's why you see it out here. It says a place of hope and healing. Look around the room today and you might see people in, you know, somewhat dressed up clothes or nicer clothes, but don't let that fool you. Why? Because all of us have come from struggles and pasts and hurts and difficulties. and mm, mm. But all of us have found refuge and safety in the word of God. We found connection in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. So if you're struggling today with the evil and wickedness of our society, I challenge you to get into the presence of God. I encourage you to join together with members of like precious faith and some connection and, and some prayer and, and some connect groups and praise and Bible study and find out that there is hope after all. In the next couple of verses, David describes the portion of the righteous realizing that God is the king of kings. See, David was a king and, and it was anointed to be a king, but he knew God is the king of kings. Mm-hmm. Oh, hallelujah. That's why when he danced before the Lord, when they brought back the ark, he took off his kingly robes and his kingly crown and said, you know what? In the presence of the king, there's only one. Mm-hmm. God would not annul David's anointing nor Saul's efforts, amen, to try to take it away. See, Saul's efforts to destroy David were futile to prevent what God had prophesied. Oh, somebody needs to hear that right now. Saul's efforts were futile to prevent what God had prophesied. And can I tell you the same is true for you? Because if God has spoken a word over you or about you, there is not a devil in hell, an angel in heaven, a governmental agency. There's not a power strong enough or a, or a wisdom knowledgeable enough to take away what God has prophesied that will come to pass for you. Hallelujah. Who can annul the word of God? It's not a question. It's a rhetorical statement. Nothing can stop the word of God. Can I tell you that if you're born again, nothing can take you out of God's hands. That's the Bible. Can I tell you that if you'll seek God first, that he'll provide for you all the things that you're worried about. There is not a Saul in your life that can stop what God has planned for you, David. Hallelujah. Why? Because God cannot lie. Every word of God is pure, the Bible says. And so when God speaks, something will always happen. Now David may have not had those verses I just quoted from, which is Titus 1-2 and Proverbs 35. He didn't have Isaiah 55 yet, which says God's word will not return to him void. But here's what David did have in Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. In other words, he knew if God said it, it's going to happen. Hallelujah. Let me talk about the prospect of the righteous for just a minute here. In the next three verses, 7 through 9, David realizes his prospects 
in this are twofold. Number one, in this life. Number two, in the life to come. You see, in verse 7, David is guided by God's counsel, trusting in the instruction of the Lord. Can I tell you, the best guide you can have on this journey called life is Jesus Christ. The best the best roadmap you can have is the word of God and let him guide you. David was guarded by God in verse 8 and he knew I shall not be moved. Mm. What he was saying was this. God's promise is faithful. God's promise is true. The storms are going to rise. But because I've built on the rock, when the storms blow, when the floods rage, the house is still going to be standing. Verse 9, David was made glad by God and he rested in God's hope. Can I tell somebody today, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Some of you have been struggling. Some of you have been walking around and not sleeping well. But God wants to know and take a pause from my notes to tell you, you're going to rest in some hope today. You're going to sleep in rest in hope today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you'll be faithful to God, He'll be faithful to you. But how many of you know we can fail God? How many of you know we have failed God? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But whereas you and I can become unfaithful, God can't. Can I just say this without shocking anybody? God is limited. Let me explain. He cannot lie. That's a limitation. (laughs) He cannot fail. That's a limitation. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 13, he cannot deny himself. He can't wake up one day. You and I can have bad hair days, right? Some of us don't like the snow, right? I saw snow in the forecast next week. I don't like that. I'm enjoying the 55 plus temperatures. I don't like that. My proverb still stands. Ye that love snow the most, shovel it the least. (laughs) Right? Ah, even King James there for you. Right? We can have bad. God can't deny himself. I can be unfaithful, but he can't. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That doesn't mean he won't judge us if we reject or deny him. It just means he's bound to his faithfulness. Listen, I've been let down by society. I've been let down by family. Unfortunately, I've been let down by people in the church. But God has never let me down. God has never failed me. I've written some books in the last few years, 12 to be exact. But listen, if I was to start a quest to write a book about every time he failed me, it would be nothing but empty pages. It would be nothing but blank after blank after blank pages because he's never let me down. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so David then takes us from here to the promise of the resurrection in verse 10. He says these words, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. That's the place of the dead, by the way. King James just says hell. It means the place of the dead. 
You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. This is a direct prophecy of Jesus Christ and the, and the resurrection. This is a direct prophecy showing he's going to be buried, but he ain't staying there. Oh, mm, mm. He descended and then ascended so that he can pick us up. Oh, come on. Mm. You know what that tells me? The promise of the resurrection is I may get buried one of these days. I may die and be put in the ground. But there's hope that when the trumpet sounds, I'm going to rise again. Hmm. David saw into the future and prophetically wrote as God breathed the words to him. Peter preached to verse 10 on the day of Pentecost. You can find it in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 28. Paul and Barnabas preached in Acts 13, verses 30 through 38. David saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy One, and it gave David hope for his present dilemma. That same promise today extends to you and I that we too will rise again. That immortal will take on, or, uh, mortal will take on immortality and corruption will take on incorruption on that day. You see, the, the second birth, you must be born again. The second birth, watch this, nullifies the second death. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm second born, <laughs> I won't die twice. <laughs> I, I will die physically. It's appointed a man once to die and after this the judgment. But I won't die twice because the second birth will nullify the second death because when he opens the Lamb's book of life, he'll find my name. Hey! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My son the other day was texting me and, and when he gets going with a thought, I mean, I get like, you know, 22 texts in a row. I can't hardly re reply. I'm just like, that's good. I'm trying to get a word in. You know, it's like a preacher trying to say amen. It's like he just keeps going. But what he would say was, he said, Dad, he says, what if, it, what if it's this? What if when he opens the Lamb's book of life, he just sees his name? I thought, you know, that's a good point. <laughs> because uh, my name don't mean a whole lot. Myron Powell, big deal. <laughs> but when you had Jesus to, oh, come on. Mm. And then watch what David says in verse 11. You will show me the path of life. Your presence, king of glory, feel this place, just want to be with you. Your presence is fullness of joy. I am physically hungry right now. And I'll tell you why. I have not eaten since the last time, first of all. And the last time was last night. And I slept all night and got up. And I don't eat breakfast because if I do, I'll be burping in the pulpit. And you don't want that. I don't want it either, frankly. I actually had that happen one time. Had a young man, no joke. He's up preaching and he's going along praying. All of a sudden, I was like, dear Jesus, have mercy. I'm like, Man, I, I sanitized that microphone. I'm like, Lord. I'm hungry. I'm physically hungry right now. I can't wait for lunch. I'll pray with the last one. I'll make sure to be the last one to leave if you want to pray. But, but I'm telling you, I'm ready to eat. But what? Here's my point. I'm going to eat until I'm... Mm. This joy is not just a bite or two of it. You ever tasted something? You ever, 
You ever get an appetizer with the family? And there's six of you, but there's only four cheese sticks? Tell me, brother. Come on, there's no fullness there, is there? It's like, all right, four of us, or four cheese sticks, six of us. Who's going to not get a cheese stick? Right? Come on, mama don't get the cheese stick. Yeah. (laughs) Right? That's why sometimes I just order my own. Can you bring me a side of cheese stick just for me? Touch my cheese stick. I want to be full. Come on. You don't have to leave here with just one cheese stick or, or forego your cheese stick because it's, it's not just four for all of us. There's fullness of joy in the presence of God. And, and let me further say this. I, I know you can take it home with you because we just saw a testimony of that after last Sunday. Jessica didn't quite get everything she wanted, but Monday she begins to pray and at home with no music and no drums and no preacher yelling in the mic, God did something and filled her with the presence and the fullness of His joy. So here's the other thing. You don't just get it here while sitting on a blue chair. You can take it out the door, in your car, down the road, down the highway, to your apartment, to your house, to your job tomorrow, to school tomorrow. Hallelujah. Fullness of joy. And watch this. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you see the twofoldness of that? I can have fullness of joy now in this life, this chaotic life, this messed up, wicked society life, knowing that I'm also looking forward to pleasures forevermore. Here's what's cool about this. David's in the midst of a personal difficulty. David's in the midst of an issue where his life is probably being threatened, where he wants nothing to do with the wickedness of the likes of Doeg and Saul and others. And he's in this struggle. And in his struggle, what does God do to him? He doesn't just prophesy. I got to feel the Holy Ghost. He doesn't just prophesy to David's situation. He prophesies to yours and mine. Uh, he prophes- his prophecy wasn't just a thousand years later for the resurrection. It's 3,000 years later for you and me. Watch. Could it be that the word God wants to give you today is not just for you now, but for somebody else in the future? Could it be God wants to give you a word to walk out of here with today that's going to help you presently, but it's going to help others prophetically? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This is the promise of God's relationship. How many of you want to be known by God? How many want God to know you? I do. Why? I'll tell you why. Because on that day, the workers of iniquity, he'll say this. Depart from me. I never knew you. We didn't have that fullness of joy together. We didn't have that relationship together. And because we didn't have that, you don't get pleasures forevermore. I never knew you. I want to know him. And I want to be known of him. You know what that means I'm going to do? I'm going to be vulnerable with God. Can I ask you a question? Do you really think 
God doesn't already know? I mean, honestly, he declares the end from the beginning. I may not know what you're dealing with, and that's fine. Your neighbor, your friend around you, sitting a pew or two in front of you or behind you may not know, but God already knows. So just be vulnerable with him. Just pour it out and say, God, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm struggling with. This is the hurt. This is the pain. This is the fear. It's like I preached a couple of weeks ago. Lay that weight aside and pick up some fullness of joy in your current situation. Oh, hallelujah. Praise team, if you would come. Verse 11 speaks to David's situation personally, but it speaks to our eternal relationship prophetically. You see, those who are born again of water and spirit are on a path of abundant life right now, leading to eternal life. You say, wait a minute, you got abundant life right now? Yes, I do. But, but what about the economy? What about inflation? I got abundant life. You see, I've got something that inflation can't touch. I've got something that the economy can't affect. I've got something that the stock market can't control. I've got something that a military power can't, can't override. I've got something that a presidential veto can't stop. Come on. I've got joy of the Lord, fullness of joy that is founded upon his word. Mm. David saw Jesus' resurrection about a thousand years before it happened, and he believed it. And it gave him hope to endure his dilemma. But watch. David could only say, Messiah will come. He did not live to see Messiah come. But you and I know that Jesus came, lived, died, was buried, rose again, and ascended. So you and I can say, Messiah has come. Watch. If David is on this side of the prophecy and it can encourage him, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. It's not yet been given. He's not been born again. That hasn't happened yet. That's a new covenant thing. And if the promise of a coming Messiah can encourage David in his present dilemma, Surely, you and I, on this side of the prophecy, on this side of the fulfillment, having Jesus, Colossians says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If we're on this side of the promise, surely we can reach back to the prophecy and understand there's hope for my present situation. If David can have hope for his situation and he doesn't see the fulfillment, surely I can reach back and have hope in so your situation might seem dead your circumstance may seem like it's over you may say like Martha but Lord he's been dead four days and behold he stinks but can I tell you stink won't stop Jesus come on the stink of your problem the length that it's been in the grave ain't going to stop him. He has the power to say, Lazarus, come forth. Is there anybody today that you want God to resurrect something in you? Is there anybody today that's received a promise from the Lord? And maybe the enemy's tried to get you to realize it ain't going to happen. Let's stand together. If you're here today, and you want to take a few moments before we dismiss and leave. 
go about our day and come around this front and pray as the praise team sings and, and let God minister to you and know there's hope, I want you to begin to make your way forward. Come on, some of you walked in here today feeling hopeless, but you can walk out feeling hopeful. Come on. Ministers, be mindful and pray with some of these that are coming down. You may have walked in hopeless, but you can leave hopeful. You may have walked in here not knowing where your joy is, but you can leave in the fullness of joy today. Come on, God wants to take some hurts. God wants us to take some pain. God wants to take some fear and have His perfect love cast it all out. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, church, let's pray. You were always fighting for If you have what you need, just be mindful of those that are seeking and praying. My delight be is prayerful where you are in your chair or row and let God touch these here crowd. that are hurting and hungry You're and want to leave with hope. Jesus. You're my Savior yeah. and my friend. By your grace I live and breathe to worship to you. To worship you. And the mention of your greatness at your name I will bow down. In your presence fear is silent for you wear the victor's crown. Let your glory fill this temple, Jesus. Let your power overflow. By your grace, I live and breathe to worship you.
snuff it out. Sometimes we don't know what those concepts might mean, but here's what at least the bruised reed means. Shepherds would find these reeds along the fields of Israel 
They could make a little wind instrument out of it. But with the spit and air and time, it could become brittle and, uh, and, and you know, break. Or they would just throw it away and make it up. They were dime a dozen. It's just reeds. It's like grass. And what Jesus was using that to say is, I'm not going to discard you. If there's some bruising, I'm going to repair and fix you. I'm going to take care of you. All throughout his ministry, it wasn't just those physical outward miracles of blind eyes opening and deaf ears unstopping and lame leaping. But it was also those emotional miracles of the heart where he would heal that inward, where nobody could see. That's the hope of the resurrection, is that whatever you're carrying, every high thing has to come down, every stronghold. It's all broken. It's all destroyed. Perfect love casts out fear. That word perfect there means complete love. His complete love casts it out. There's no question. There's no debate. Fear doesn't get to come back to the table and say, I object. Perfect love casts it out. And so today, let the hope of the resurrection manifest in you. Let that perfect love work in you to cast out that fear, to realize He is the exalted one. That's the hope of the faithful. I want you to take that with you today. I want you to carry that with you this week. It's not just an empty tomb that He arose from and, and brought our salvation. It's an empty tomb that brought our freedom from guilt and shame and fear. And His blood purchase the church so we can have that refuge and safety and connection within the body of Christ. Looking forward to the day when it's pleasures forevermore. Oh, hallelujah. Can we lift up our voices? Lift up our hands. Lift up and bless the Lord. Glory.